This is the Neurosurgery Podcast. Welcome to the Neurosurgery Podcast. Uh, here we are, delighted to be joined by Dr. Michael Young, a graduating resident uh, from the Neurosurgery Training Program down in Bloomington Normal, Illinois, home of Dr. Ann Stroink, a friend of the show and current NS president, um, who is grateful enough to put me in touch with Michael. Um, the program down there, formerly Advocate Healthcare Neurosurgery Residency, now the Carl Clinic. Um, and Michael Young is a DO resident in neurosurgery who was gracious enough to come on the show today and talk about what that experience is like uh, going to DO medical school, uh, from that track, applying into a neurosurgery residency, and now as he's graduating, even going beyond to fellowship um, through that professional track. So, Michael, welcome to the show. Um, for our listeners, why don't you just say hello and uh, give us a bit of background? Uh, yeah, thanks for having me on, JP. Uh, I just want to commend you guys on, a, on an awesome podcast. I've been listening since uh, its infancy, and uh, it's just a nice platform that you guys have created for uh, the neurosurgical community. So I just wanted to start off by uh, commending you on that. Thanks. Um, yeah, as you introduced me, I'm uh, Michael Young. I just graduated from the Carl Clinic Neurosurgery Program, um, just getting ready to start my fellowship out. Uh, in Boston at Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center, Harvard Medical School in cerebrovascular neurosurgery. Um, and I uh, uh, just wanted to come on and uh, appreciate the invitation to come on and discuss kind of the pathway for DO neurosurgeons throughout their career and to obtain fellowships and and to become attendings as it's a little bit uh, misunderstood and, and a little different, obviously, than the RMD counterparts. Right. Now, I'll remind our listeners that uh, well back in the infancy of the show, in episode 18, we had Dr. Anil Nanda on talking about uniting an MD and a DO track residency into a single program. And so I'll point listeners uh, back towards that episode to kind of think about the merging of residencies. But here in today's episode, in today's conversation, Michael, I really just wanted to talk about the experience itself of just starting and finishing in a DO track neurosurgery program. So why don't we begin at the beginning and take us back to when you're a bright-eyed college student um, deciding what you're going to do with your life and the path that got you to applying to DO for medical school. Yeah, so uh, go, all goes back actually to high school. I knew that I wanted to be a neurosurgeon. I had a family member that had a brain tumor and kind of got me interested in the field of neurosurgery. So from there, I went to, to college, to the University of Miami, took the MCAT, you know, studied and, um, in neuroscience um, and pre-med track, and then, you know, started to apply to medical schools. And at the time, I hadn't really heard about osteopathic medical schools, but I sat down with the president of my university, and we talked about them and just the different tracks and everything. So I applied to a lot of allopathic medical schools. I applied to a lot of osteopathic medical schools, go on the interview trail, and uh, receive some acceptances to osteopathic medical schools, one of which was Nova Southeastern University, which was in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. And at the time, I wanted to stay down in South Florida. So I enrolled there. Um, I, I knew the curriculum was a little different. And once I started uh, osteopathic medical school, I realized it was actually not that different. So the curriculum is the same as an allopathic medical school, except for the addition of osteopathic manip manipulative therapy, where you learn as the body as a whole and the body's ability to cure itself and a lot of hands-on treatment for uh, 
um, axial back pain or uh, arthritic pain. So continuing on, obviously, I, I, I knew I wanted to get into neurosurgery. I applied to the, at the time, there was two different matches. There was the AOA match and the ACGME match. And as I was going through the uh, cycle, um, that's when they announced, the government announced the ACGME AOA merger in 2015. So because they hadn't started to formulate that process yet, there was two separate matches. So the AOA match was in February and the ACGME match was in March. So as a osteopathic medical student, you know, there's a certain bias um, just inherent in the neurosurgery community. So to decide to forego the AOA match and to put all your um, eggs into the ACGME match would kind of be taking a, a very large gamble. And so most AOA, or I'm sorry, most DO applicants decide to uh, go into the AOA match. Um, and so that's what I did. From there, I matched into what was the advocate healthcare system at the time. Um, and there was eight other program, eight other osteopathic neurosurgery programs at that time, five of which have now merged into the ACGME uh, world and uh, are still taking applicants, three of which are graduating out residents and then planning to close doors. So that's kind of the, the pathway that got me into residency. That has since changed now that there is a single um, accreditation process and a single match process. So um, just recently, I went to look back to see which of these programs that were historically osteopathic neurosurgery programs, are they still taking DO uh, medical students? And, and it looks like they are. Now, the numbers are still, you know, decreased and few and far between but compared to our MD counterparts. But I still think there is an avenue there for DO medical students to get into uh, neurosurgery residency programs. Yeah, so, you know, I, I will say a quick shout out to Nova Southeastern. I actually used to live down the road from that school in Hollywood, Florida, or, or pardon me, in uh, Plantation, Florida, for a couple of years of my medical school down at the University of Miami. And uh, Dr. Steve Vanny at the University of Miami, one of the excellent spine surgeons there, is actually a graduate of that school. I had a lot of friends at the dental school there as well. Um, great program. So thinking about the residency as it is now, where you are there at the Carl Clinic, it, is it a mixed program now or is your resident complement entirely comprised of DO residents? So yes, uh, our program is entirely composed of DO residents and it's and is one of the programs that um, just due to various reasons decided not to, well, after multiple uh, submissions to the ACGME decided to, to forego uh, continuing on the ACGME pathway. So therefore, we only have um, DO, um, DOs in our program. However, some of the other pro programs in the country uh, have, have more of a mixed group of residents. Yeah. So if you were present for that time period where the potential merger into the ACGME and the potential acceptance of MD residents was under discussion at your program. Can you share with us, share with our listeners, what, what's that discussion look like? What are the pros and cons if you're from the perspective of a strictly DO program? What are the pros and cons when you're considering merging and accepting MD residents into your program as well? Sure. Great question. So obviously the pros are, you know, 
making it a single match process and incorporating everybody into the osteopathic neurosurgery programs uh, from the MD track, from the international medical graduate track, um, you know, through that, those processes. Um, the curriculum in and of itself within residency training is, is in the osteopathic neurosurgery programs is not much different um, than the MDs. And the only way, the only reason I can speak to that is I've worked with um, University of Colorado residents, University of Illinois Chicago residents, and, and attended meetings and discussed a lot of these uh, just curriculum with other um, residents throughout the country. So I know that there's a lot of similarities. The cons of the deciding to merge would be that it, it dilutes the application pool for DO um, resident or DO medical students to now you know have uh, you know a, a significant larger number of applicants for uh, a, still a very small amount of osteopathic neurosurgery residency spots. So I think in deciding to do that. Each program had to look at their infrastructure, their ability to support the changes that the ACGME needed um, via, you know, uh, I know what, um, you know, from our program, we needed another neuroanesthesiology, or we needed an anesthesiology residency program. We needed a um, neurology residency program. We needed um, a, a radiology residency program, and those things just weren't inherent in our institution. But I think overall, throughout the rest of the country, the osteopathic programs saw it as a as a as a uh, as a pro to in, open the doors and and become a single accredited uh, program. Now it's really interesting. You, you touched on the fact that you've crossed paths with and worked with residents from other programs, specifically MD programs. I, I was very interested and I wanted to ask you actually, if in the course of your residency, either through rotations like that, if you've worked directly with MD residents and in the course of your residency, going to meetings and interacting with the larger neurosurgical community, uh, what's your experience been like when you're in the company of MD residents? Um, you, you mentioned you didn't really notice any difference in training, which I, I think we would all expect there not to be any difference in training. But what's your experience like either rotating at sites where you're the only DO resident present or attending meetings, which I assume are predominantly attended by uh, MD attendings and residents? Yeah, great question, JP. Um, so my first exposure to working with uh, MD uh, neurosurgery residents was uh, actually out at the University of Colorado. We do our our pediatric neurosurgery out there. Um, and I worked on service with a lot of those residents and really just uh, kind of fit in nicely. And our program has fit in nicely in that rotation um, from the feedback that we've had from those attendings and uh, really haven't paid any attention, notice any differences in the DO and MD training. Um, you know, there's certain differences that are at every institution with, you know, surgical technique and patient management, um, but nothing on the grand scheme of things. And then I had the uh, opportunity to work with the UIC residents at Advocate Christ, which is an outpay, or a, uh, an elective rotation in, uh, in that I did a enfolded endovascular fellowship in. Um, and same thing there, just some differences in surgical uh, technique and patient management. But overall, the, the knowledge base that we were able to share on service was, was very collegial and um, we worked well together. So... 
you know, there were certain things that would come up about studying for boards and, um, you know, kind of to segue into to that topic, we'll get there, but the board certification is a different process. So uh, I know one of the residents when I was, was on service with me there, he was studying for his boards as a third year, whereas we take our oral board, or I mean, our written boards, uh, seventh year, as well as um, our oral boards after we graduate. Got it. Well, you know, it seems like a, as good a time as any to, to dive into the boards. And uh, what are the differences in licensure and certification as a DO resident approaching the end of residency as, as you are now finishing up this week, in fact, um, as compared to what, what you know of the process for us in the MD world? Yep. So uh, we're certified by the AOA through the AOBS, which is the American Osteopathic Association. And then we're certified by the American Osteopathic Board of Surgeons through the Neurosurgery uh, Subcommittee. Um, and so historically, we would take our written boards, um, the your chief year, um, they recently just changed it to um, be compatible with what the AANS does. And that's um, take them, you know, you can take them as early as your third year and obviously you can take them out throughout the rest of your residency if you need to. Um, and then for the oral exams, you take them after you graduate, um, which is similar to what I understand in the, uh, the AANS world where you take them after you graduate as well. Um, and honestly, the curriculum that they break down is very similar between the two written exams. Um, I just took my written exam a couple weeks ago and just got you know, results back that uh, passed and everything. But the resources from the ABNS um, and AANS were primary, uh, you know, study materials. There wasn't some dedicated um, double or AOA uh, neurosurgery uh, board review books or anything like that. So I can say that by studying the curriculum that's present on the ABNS. Um, it was definitely very similar to what was on our um, written boards. Very interesting. So, you know, as we've touched on, I'll say congratulations again. You passed your written boards. We're reaching the end of the academic year and you're ready to ship off to your fellowship in Boston. Hats off to you. What was the process like um, applying for securing that fellowship? And I, I guess more broadly, do we see the same pattern with post-residency training? Are there dedicated DO fellowships? Or once you get to that level of postgraduate training, does everything just kind of blend together and the applicant is an applicant? Yeah, another great question, JP. So I, I think it's more of the latter, that there, there really are few and far between osteopathic dedicated fellowships. I think um, most uh, DO neurosurgery residents apply for you know the more prestigious fellowship programs in hopes of adding some you know further... Uh, further uh, uh, prestige to their, their CV and their, and their, and their job application. Um, I know that uh, there are several other DO neurosurgeons that have obtained really, you know, really, uh, really well-known fellowships in different of the subspecialties. Um, and I would say the, the, the way to, you know, uh, the best uh, way to go about that is to find great mentorship. So I was lucky to have some great mentors and, and early on in residency that had kind of pushed me into the field of vascular and, uh, you know, taught me a lot about the field and, and kind of helped promote me um, to get into a, you know, well-known fellowship. And I, I would say, you know, for the rest of 
the DO neurosurgery applicants into fellowships that, you know, that that's what you'll need. You'll need that, that guidance and that mentorship because there's not as much of a university support in a lot of our residency programs um, in terms of research and in terms of certain pathways to get you just set up for your next fellowship. A lot of it is based on mentorship and, and, uh, and work ethic on your own. So uh, I would say that's probably different than um, some of our MD counterparts. There's a lot of help with, you know, university pathways, et cetera. Sure. And I, I mean, you know, here we are having this conversation about DOs and uh, surgical training within neurosurgery. And I, I suppose for the sake of acknowledging the elephant in the room, I'm just curious if at any point during your training, be it applying to residency or now in the process of applying for your fellowship, do you, do you think you faced any bias or people treated you any differently, particularly if you're applying to mixed fellowship programs because you're coming from a DO track? Yeah, I mean, I think that that is the elephant in the room, right? Like we have to discuss that. And I, I think inherently there is going to always be some bias. I think as um, people understand DO neurosurgery and and that the training is not very much different once you're in a neurosurgery program, I think the bias the biases should or hopefully will go away. But certainly that they exist, um, and I've I've experienced in them. Uh, my co-residents have, have experienced them too. And, uh, you know, all we can do is just kind of uh, educate and, and let people know and show them our surgical skills and patient management. And, you know, we know what we're doing. Um, but obviously, since it is a, you know, a much smaller number of all the neurosurgeons in the community, it's going to, there are going to be some questions and um, some explaining to do. Yeah. So uh, thank you for being honest and, and uh, you know, sharing that with our listeners. So hopefully the more we can shine light on that uh, still occurring, we can hopefully minimize it and reduce it moving forward through the years. Um, I wonder, uh, Michael, if you kind of speak to the younger folks who may be listening, those who are considering medical school options right now, or those who are in a DO medical program right now that have aspirations towards neurosurgery, um, just speaking from your own experience, obviously you touched on the importance of strong mentorship and connecting with a, a strong and dedicated mentor early on. Any other advice or any pearls of wisdom, missteps to avoid that you can offer for these young people who are trying to follow in the same track that you took? Yeah, I mean, I would say definitely get involved in research early. It's going to help set you apart. You know, you have to do very well on your boards, uh, do very well in your coursework. Um, get involved into, you know, some DO uh, medical schools don't have a department of neurosurgery. So seek out uh, mentorship from somewhere in the country. You know, hopefully it's close by that you can do some rotations with that department. Um, but at least so you have some exposure before you go into your audition rotations or your elective rotations. Um, and then, you know, just, just work hard and, you know, just like everybody for all the other, you know, anybody in medical school, work hard, be attentive, show up early to, you know, stay late. Um, but there is still a pathway for uh, osteopathic medical students to get into res neurosurgery residency, although, although it will be more difficult. Uh, I think we're still seeing, you know, eight to 10 um, osteopathic medical students uh, match into neurosurgery residency a year. Uh, and that's been a pretty um, consistent over the last few years, to my knowledge. So it's doable. Uh, there's obviously some more hurdles, but uh, 
it can be done. Well, Michael, I'll, I'll say this uh, half tongue in cheek, but half very genuinely. It's heartening to hear that advice because it's exactly the advice that uh, anyone in an MD program and in a DO program should hear and, and would give. Uh, you know, the, the steps are the same, whatever track you're coming from. Show up early, work hard, stay late, connect with the right people and, and just perform well. So heartening to hear that, um, you know, we're all walking along the same path, even uh, though may, maybe slightly differently and, and slightly in parallel. Um, well, with that, Michael, you know, we, we thank you for coming on the show, sharing your time and your experiences. I'm sure this has been very instructive, uh, both for our listeners who are going toward or currently in DO medical programs for their training, um, but also those of us like myself who are over here in MD world and just curious about what life is like and what the experience is like for our counterparts uh, on the DO side of the fence. So, Michael Young, thank you so much for joining us on the Neurosurgery Podcast. JP, thanks for having me. And again, I want to commend you on a, a great podcast you've created. Thanks. Good luck in Boston. Disclaimer time. The opinions and ideas expressed in this show are solely those of myself, Dr. Wang, and our guests. They do not represent the opinions of any professional institution or organization. This show is for entertainment purposes only and does not constitute the giving of medical or legal advice. Listening to or participating in this show does not constitute continuing medical education or any other professional certification. It's just a show, everybody.